Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton. So we're going to begin this week's podcast with a very exciting pop quiz. And the question that we're going to begin with is, what is the most pro-Donald Trump county in the entire United States? All right, I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about this while I do the little traditional tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Okay, for those of you that picked New York City, you are wrong. For those of you that picked Washington, also wrong. Actually, Washington is one of the most pro-Clinton places in the United States. Maybe it is Aspen, Colorado. Wrong. Dallas, Texas, also wrong. The most pro-Donald Trump place in the United States is a little town with 597 people who live there. It is only 1.2 square miles, and it is in the county of Roberts, Texas. So the way you spell this town, it's it's actually spelled M-I-M-A, just like Miami, Florida, but it's actually Miami, Texas. So my guest today is writing a book about Miami, Texas in relation to the elites who live in the big cities across America and D.C., New York, L.A., and so on. And he's trying to figure out who has it right. Do the folks over there in Texas have it right? Or do the folks over here on the coasts have it right? Do we all have it wrong? Who knows? It's actually a fascinating, fascinating conversation. I read his book in the iteration uh, that he just turned into his publishers and was not only laughing out loud, but was just fascinated by the difference in the way we live and the way they live, but yet we all kind of have the same goals in mind. So I'm very excited to welcome Joel Stein to the show. Joel uh, was a reporter for Time Magazine for many, many, many years. I'm sure you have read his bylines numerous times. If you take the time to Google him uh, and you end up on his Wikipedia page, you will see that his early life, his career, and all those other things um, are way shorter than the section on Wikipedia about him, about his controversial columns. I'll let you go and dig through some of those on your own. Um, it's a great conversation. Make sure you listen all the way through. It encompasses Trump, politics, technology, family values, you name it. Uh, I'm really excited to get started. Welcome Thank to... Thank you. You can't interrupt me when I'm beginning. Okay. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton, and you are my guest. Can I interrupt you now? Yes. Joel Stein. Um, so, uh, Joel, I have known you for how long now? Not too long. Few Not years. that long. Um, uh, we should know the answer to this. It was a few years. Yeah. Uh, I met you uh, at, a, at a diner somewhere in Los Feliz. It was not a diner. It was a, a respectable restaurant. I'm from Jersey. I know my diners. It's a diner, kind oh of. Oh, my God. Um, and, so Vanity Fair. Uh, and so <laughs> that, you, that I consider the respectable uh, restaurant. It was a, a nice diner. Thai restaurant. You call they it a diner. Have, they have yeah. really good uh, crispy potatoes. They do. Um, so... I actually asked you on because you were just, I was desperate partially, but also uh, you just wrote a book that won't be out for what, another six months? How does it work? I'm afraid to even ask because I missed my deadline so many times. Uh, it'll, well, six months, I, I, I would say. I love that you're talking directly into the fake microphone as if it'll pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might. There is a world in which it will. Um, and, uh, and it was an amazing book. I laughed my oh, ass off. Yeah, you're off. one of like three people, people literally, who, who read you, the book. You, my dad, 
and my friend Patty are the only three people who have read this book, including my, my editor hasn't read it yet. Your editor hasn't because you turned it in late. Yeah, well, she has other stuff. Okay, so it was, I, was la- I laughed my ass off oh, good. many, many times. Um, and I, I thought it was a fascinating uh, look at America, Trumpism, and so on. So I'm going to ask you to give us the 280-character version of the book and how it came about, and then we can talk about the concept behind it, because I think it's, uh, there's a long discussion to have about it. Okay. Uh, it's called In Defense of Elitism. Because uh, you are uh, elitist. I am. I think we need the elite, unlike uh, past guests on this podcast. I am a big, <laughs> and I talk to some of the same people that he uh, denigrates, Anand. Uh, yeah, and how did they come about? You know, I think I, fir- I wrote a, some columns in Time Magazine, which were edited by uh, Radhika, who's now the editor of Vanity Fair. Heard of it. Uh, and we kind of wrote, I wrote these columns that defended elitism. I think the first time I got really upset was, for some reason I was watching the Today Show. I, I need, as an elitist, I need an excuse for that. Let's say I was like in a green room somewhere waiting to go on. Of course, because that's yeah. the only place elites watch television is in green rooms. Especially the Today Show, yes. right? Yeah. And I remember Joe Biden, would, uh, Kagan had just been nominated. And Biden was on and Matt Lauer was saying to him, like, do we need another person who went to an Ivy League school on the Supreme Court? Uh, you know, another, I think Kagan went to Yale, like another Yale Law School person. Like, shouldn't we have some, some bigger representation, some more people from, from the real world? I just like thought, Kavanaugh who drinks beer. Who also went to Yale, yes, right? Yes, but still, okay, that's um, yes, true. Yeah, uh, and I, that upset me greatly. Because there should be people on the Supreme Court that didn't go to Yale and Harvard, or there shouldn't be? No, this is a highly specialized job. That re- to have gone to like Yale Law School seems a reasonable expectation for these people. Okay, so let me throw this back at you. Yeah. Uh, where do you think I went to school? I used to know this. I think you went to... Um, well, I don't want you on the Supreme Court is the bottom line. Okay, but still. Okay, so I used to work at the New York Times. I worked yes. at Vanity Fair. I've been, oh, I've, I know I've, this. I, yeah. went, I, were, I was oh, a I know. Wait, wait, I know. contributor you went to on like, CNBC. Uh, pay to the school in New York where you do design. Like, yeah, um, I went to an art school and I got yes. kicked out of art school. Yes. I can't, I literally, and then I ended up teaching at NYU for a couple of years and, and I couldn't actually take classes at NYU because I didn't have a degree, an undergraduate degree, but they allowed me to teach because of, of what I had done for, for a living for so long. And so... I don't know if I agree. You think you should be on the Supreme Court? I think that if you are successful and good at what you are, what you do, you should be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. If you're successful and good at what you do, you should be able to do that thing. Yes. Right. I shouldn't have had to have gone to Yale or Harvard to do that thing. No, what you do does not require you to go to Yale or Harvard. You're <laughs> sitting in front of a fake microphone drinking whiskey and talking to me. Like, you're okay, more than qualified. But, but, okay, but if you go to the newsroom at the New York Times, the majority of the people there have gone to... Uh, Journalism school? I, I, Ivy League schools. Does that mean that's the you know, top paper in the nation? Does that mean that everyone who works there... I mean, that was a thing. In the past, I never would have been able to get a job at the New York Times... Uh, two, three decades ago because you had to have gone up that route. Well, before Watergate, probably very few people had gone to Ivy League schools in the New York Times. Is that right? No, I think that before, I would say before Bill Clinton era, around then, anyone who worked in that paper had gone to, had gone to Columbia, had, you, you know, a, and, and now they don't necessarily give What's a shit. What switched there? I think that what switched is, I think, I, my personal opinion is, and I'm not a professional, uh, because I went to art school and got kicked out. But my personal opinion is, is that you, you, see, you see industries where um, the richest people in the world, and that's not a barometer for what is successful, but where the richest people in the world, starting with Microsoft and Bill Gates, dropped out of school. Um, dropped out of? Of college. Harvard. Yeah. Well, but dropped out and dropped out of, and, and Mark Zuckerberg and all these of people. Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you keep naming people. Who went to Harvard, but go on. Okay, but I think that it became clear that you didn't need to have that degree, that little piece of paper to be successful. A, A, and B, I think that the speed with which things have changed um, in society uh, are, a, are, are a result of the speed of technology. So um, if you go to a four-year school uh, to go and get a degree in computer engineering, 
to start the next Facebook or whatever. Four years when you get out, like the programming languages you use are going to be changed. The, every every aspect of it is is changed, and I think that that's why it it justified dropping out to start a tech company. And I think that the that it has reverberated into other industries. And therefore, a lot of people at the New York Times now because of that. Not change just the New York tech. Times, but I think like lots of places, they don't have degrees or need the degree that they once had to get into those industries. But my defense of elitism isn't about like college degrees necessarily. It's about having some kind of expertise for what you are going to do. Okay, there's so a populist revolt that argues that you can just do things from your gut without any knowledge or expertise that I have a problem with. Like Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump. Okay, so, so let's he, get... Yes, so, so, you, so for your book, you went to... Uh, you, tell us what you did. You found the most Trumpian place on the planet. Yeah, so I, I found the county in America that had the highest percentage of Trump voters. And I went and spent five days there just to kind of get to know why people were so into Trump. And where is that? Uh, it's, a, it's a county called Roberts County, which is in the panhandle of Texas. And I went to, there's only one real town. Uh, it's a very small county, and there's one town called Miami, spelled Miami. 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 Okay, uh, now that I know how to spell that, thank you very much. Yeah, and I think that's the college, too, the University of... Miami. The one in Ohio. That's I, not the University of Miami. No. This is not that interesting, but I think there is a large tribe of Native Americans called the Miamas, and they were in that area in Ohio. It's a big tribe all the way down to that part of Texas, whereas Miami is named after like some river or something over there. So when you, when you go to Miami, um, do you have any idea? I thought they were just mispronouncing it for a long time when I got there because they had such, I figured they had Did such you actually thick, think it was Miami when you said I did. Off? I thought they had like thick, hick accents for a while, and then I thought, oh, no, they just come from a long line of people with thick hick accents, and I've learned to say it this way. And then I finally found out that no, that's how the Native Americans said it. So the the, the county, it's what like ninety six percent voted. So like essentially yes. two people didn't vote for Trump. It was more. It was like a uh, close to a dozen, and I met a bunch of them. And so when you show up there, do you show up there and you say like I'm an elite, and I'm going to prove to you why elites are important? I think I kind of thought that in my head, but I'm not very uh, confrontational, and I have social anxiety, and I'm a reporter, so instead I just wound up listening to people mostly. Although I did some arguing. Okay, so one of the things that I find so fascinating when I was reading the book is you go there, and you meet these people, and they're all so nice to you. So nice to me. Uh, and they invite you to their house, and... I didn't pay for a meal the whole time I was there. Uh, and yet, meanwhile, you know, like... I don't think I would buy you a cup of coffee no, if no, I had we, the opportunity. We go Dutch, for yeah, sure, um, at our diners. Um, but, so the question that I had, like I was reading the book and you're sitting like on someone's stoop, uh, on their porch, sorry, uh, and it's a, it's a summer Texan night and you're eating cobbler and homemade ice cream and you've just had brisket and you're all talking and no one's looking at their phones and you write this yeah. thing about how uh, you have a son uh, and how much he would probably enjoy that life. And yeah. and I wondered, reading it, like, wait a second, did, did they have it right and we have it wrong? Like, as I'm, like, run, you know, running around all over the place yeah. doing this, that, and the other, taking meetings here and, and pitching this thing there and writing that thing there, like, uh, and am I the one that has it wrong? Like, what was the takeaway you got? I, I definitely felt like maybe they are better at running a town than, or a life than we are. Although we're better at running like a large society, but why? So if they're better at running a small society and we're better at running a large one, why? Why? Why aren't they better at running a large one? Oh, because you have to. Uh, I mean, they have phones and they have internet and they want a somewhat globalized world and they want to have massive global cooperation on some level and that that takes a lot of uh, being able to incorporate information that's not in front of you and they're not familiar with and. And, and incorporate and cooperate with other people. That's, the main difference is just the mass amount of, of knowledge that you need that's not right in front of you to, to operate a large, complicated society. And so, you, you, so they're hyper-focused on the, on the one-foot view and the elites are hyper-focused on the 10,000-foot 10 10, view? Yeah, and that's not a good way to live. Like, we know that. Like, I did a story once um, where I went to a... To Redmond, Washington, and there's a rehab facility for people who are addicted to technology. These were all young men in this case, 
and with somewhat rich Does parents. it look like a regular rehab facility? Is it it like does. It was in a nice house in the middle of the woods, and there was a little, uh, you know, house in the back where you did your meditation, and it looked, then you cooked meals together, and yeah, it looked a lot like... And there's no technology? Somewhere. No, no. These, some of these kids will never be able to use a, anything but a flip phone again in their lives. Because what happened to them? It was dramatic. Like, it seems like a joke to be addicted to technology, but like... I mean, some of the, like, one of these guys I know was playing, it was all basically video games. Because I thought it was going to be porn or that's Twitter. Where I, that's where my head went, porn. I was Yeah, no, like, it yeah. turns out that, uh, uh, I guess due to refractory periods, there's only so much porn you can watch <laughs> in a given day. It'll, it'll mess up your life, don't get me wrong. But not to the degree which video games can mess up your life. Got it. Because you can play, I'm going to pick the wrong games because I don't play video games like World of Warcraft. I went, that's where I was at right? World of I'm, Warcraft. I may be well probably I, I think Quake century, I or maybe know. or like uh, but, Tom but, Clancy's shoot him up. I, see, I saw ads for like Red Dawn. Red Dawn. So anyway those things give you um, all the things that the real world the positive feedback you can get from doing real world thing you get a simulacrum from, from these kind of video games which is like you are social. You're interacting with other people. You do acquire skills that you move up in levels. Um, there's a lot of feedback loops that you're hard to get out of. So these kids would, I know one kid was talking about playing uh, video games so long that he would just you know, defecate in his pants. Are you serious? Oh yeah, these kids had no lives outside of, they were just, they, they didn't go out for food. They brought, they had Taco Bell and Mountain Dew delivered and no, their it, lives had fallen apart. And was it? And they had real lives beforehand. They were all like, at Emory or, you know, computer science major or they were playing on soccer teams like in college. Like they were normal people. And was it that they that they had social issues and that, that they found I'd, solace in the video game or was there something? Not in the social, they, yes, but not in the way you're thinking. I think they were much like other addicts. They seem to have, they're very sweet guys and they seem to have anxiety, depression issues. So some of them are also wound up doing some either addicted to marijuana or um, they were those type of guys. And so what, so you, not, not social outcast kind of guys. They were funny and cool and had friends. So you, so you go to this, this place and, yeah. and these people are living a life without technology. Are they, are they happier? Well, it's really hard for them because it like literally looking, making eye contact was hard for them in the first week or two. Huh. If they had really divorced themselves from humanity. Uh, and I think nor, Normal social interactions in person are somewhat confrontational. And I think that's... I feel conf confronted right now. I did when you were bringing up where you went to college. Like that, that's, <laughs> that, I backed down right away. Um, but I think that those things become harder and harder the more we all use our phone. And we all are like, oh, I don't want to call her. I'm just going to text her. I don't, mm -hmm. don't want to meet up in person. I'll just... Yeah, we, I, we, um, uh, we have a three-year-old and pulled him out of, um, of a school that we didn't like because the, the teachers were really mean. Oh, Cassandra. Yeah. My wife has a, a germad, if that's a word, against this school. Yes, and... Um, she warned and, you against this yeah, school, Yeah, right? we were warned yeah. by many people. It was a Montessori school. Other people, school. too, yeah, warned you. There's, okay. there's postings online about it. But we, uh, they were really mean, like overly mean. Mm -hmm. And um, my poor, he was two and a half at the time, he would, I would drive him to school and he would rock back and forth in the backseat of the car and he would be like, I'm just going for a little bit. I'm just going for oh a little no. bit. It was so sad. But oh. I, I, the teacher was, the, you know, the, the woman who ran the school was just like, well, it's just a transition. They're little adults. And you don't know anything when you're a first parent. Yeah, your no, you're, oh. and I realize he's going to talk to his therapist about it years from now. No, um, no, no, they forget all this stuff. Oh, they do? Yeah. It doesn't, you, I haven't ruined him yet. No, the only stuff you talk to your therapist about is that short period of time, like between puberty and when you leave home when they're like they didn't go to my play Got like it. it's you're okay, fine I'll go to his play I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely go to his play but I so I but it was interesting because I don't mind confrontation I actually kind of like it sometimes yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and I sent her an email to say we weren't bringing him back because I felt she, she was so intense she is intense uh, she is intense but it was interesting now that you say that because I haven't really thought about the fact that that there are moments where this the the lack of technology where technology can actually help in those ways i think one of the problems and i want to get back to this to this story you were talking about but one of the problems with technology today is that the people who built the technologies we use ha are people who have social anxiety issues mark zuckerberg is not someone who can sit down with 
people and just have a, a fun, chatty conversation about the, the latest movie he saw or this, that, and the other. Everything revolves, and I've spent time with him, and everything revolves around Facebook. Everything. Right. Uh, I tried talking to him about surfing once, and uh, and he was like, have you ever thought about putting a thing in your surfboard so that you it can automatically update your Facebook status to say you're surfing? And I'm like, why would I do that? Like, This what? is a fair amount of driven people. Like, you tried to talk... I've tried to talk about Bernie Sanders about something that isn't wealth and equality. And he just, his eyes glaze over. Yes. Well, so the problem is Zuckerberg and Dorsey and all these people who have built these technologies uh, have social issues and they have built them to, uh, to mediate those social issues. And as they have built them, they haven't built in empathy. And so therefore these technologies that we all use that we're like, holy shit, I can talk to Joel over in, uh, 5,000 miles away or whatever, like we use these technologies that have been built without thinking about empathy because these people off, most of the time don't have it. And as a result, we have the world we live in today. I've heard you say that before. And you don't agree? I don't agree. Okay, bring it. I feel like I've, I've done stories where I met people who had quit, um, I guess they quit Facebook and they were trying to make or Twitter, or trying to make a nicer Twitter out in Utah. I wish I remembered more about these people. And it failed. Um, and I feel like, as human beings, we want to escape our loneliness and our anxiety. And therefore, we are, when a computer gives us an option to work on its rules, which are much simpler, they're more binary, than, than our more complicated rules, we are eager to do it. So like, in, in, like this is a Vanity Fair podcast. I'm going to talk about Infinite Jest right away. So in Infinite <laughs> Jest, David Foster Wallace, it's in the future, and he invents some version of Skype. We've all, since we were kids, thought about some version of video teleconferencing. And what he finds out is no one really wants to do it because you really have to pay attention in face-to-face -face conversations. And the good thing about the phone is you're kind of paying attention when you talk and then someone else talks and you're not really paying attention. And people like that more. And I think... Any technology that gives us the option of withdrawing is, is preferable than having to like sit there in your own anxiety. And so I don't think, I think if the nicest, most social dude in the world or woman in the world had built Facebook, it would still come out like this. Like Twitter was always going to be this. There's no nice version of Twitter that exists. I, I, I agree that there's no nice version of Twitter that exists, but I don't, would you say that society is better off because of Twitter and Facebook? Can't answer the question, can you? I, I don't think, look, I think society is better yes. off. You, you do think it is. But you have to think about it. I mean, you literally had to sit there. There's a lot of negatives, right? Yeah, but you have to if I say them. to you, do you think society is better off because of the invention of chocolate? You'd be like, fuck yeah. It's oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, like, or, sort of, right? Oh, there's come the on. There's no. There's don't a lot even, of, don't even argue lot this of one. obesity in our country. I'm talking about dark chocolate with like salt on top and you know so caramel. You're, you're out elitist thing. I'm, I'm, I'm every the turn. elite. Uh, um, the kind you get in the diner. The, the kind, kind of you get in yeah. the diner when you at the end. Uh, with the petite four at the diner at the end. <laughs> I get it. Um, uh, cars, planes. There are bad things that happen with it. 32, 33, 34,000 people die every year from car accidents yeah. in the United States. 1.2 million globally. But I would say society is better off because of cars. But when I look at social media, right. I would not say that that is the case. And I think that we didn't bin build car. I mean, yeah, you cars do create this. Like you go for a drive on a weekend. It's a nice antisocial experience that you you know. But that the car that's not what the car was built for. The car right. was built for a purpose. And I feel like social media and a lot of technology we use to, use today were not. They they're not. They're not connecting us in a better way. Um, that's my, that's my. We're own. definitely not using them correct in a way. But that's because they weren't built correctly. It's like it's like if you built a a car that only went from like one place to the other place, and the other place was an insane asylum. Like that would be the perfect analogy, I think. But a TV wasn't built to like lobotomize people. But that's what it. No, did. but it was it was captured for that. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if people didn't. I mean, Twitter was built kind of randomly, right? Yeah, it was a total accident. Yeah, yes. so I don't know if... But it, Facebook, eh, Facebook was to get Mark Zuckerberg laid, but yeah. yes. Yeah, all inventions. Anyway, that. let's go back to this. I okay. want to go back to the house uh, with the people who were addicted to video games. Yeah, okay. Uh, 
and you were going to give us a large thought on this? Yeah. So it's it a question of how should we be living our lives? Yes. And, and it's really what you're talking about, about Facebook and Twitter is, yeah, we really are in a bad, all of us are in a bad situation that's pretty akin to what these people were experiencing in rehab. Like, we're, the people in Miami who, Miami who weren't looking at their phones and really had a community and stopped by each other's houses and had dinner there and went to each other's porches and went to church together. Uh, all the stuff David Brooks talks about, like, th they did seem healthier. Do you, they did seem like they were running a society better than we were. Now they were running society in like 1950, but, but it seemed like they had a community at least. Well, it's, it's interesting. I remember my grandfather uh, grew up in, in England and um, he lived there during the war, Second World War. And he was telling me um, he remembered when uh, everyone, he, he lived in the heart of London and um, he remembered this moment when everyone got, uh, people started getting televisions. Um, and they started getting their own little radio, you know, little radios in their house. And he said it was literally like the same week that they would get these communication platforms, people started buying locks for their front door. He said that he, when, he, when he was born, like, he, they never had a lock on their front door. There was no, um, uh, no one on his block. He could walk up to any house and open the door in the heart of London. And then once we started to hear the news... It was like, oh my God, I have to get a lock on my front door. Like something really oh, bad wow. could happen to me. And I always remember that um, because it seems like this information is, and the technology, it kind, we think it's making it better, but I, over time, I'm starting to worry that it's not. So no one in Miami locks their doors. No one. When I, so I rented out, uh, the mayor of Miami told me there's no hotels, obviously, in this town that I had to stay very far away at a Holiday Inn. But then I went online and for some reason this mayor didn't realize someone was running a B&B out of their an house. An Airbnb or? It was actually, I found it on Airbnb, but no, it's just a B&B. Um, the Cowboys and Roses, if you're ever in Miami, Texas, I highly recommend it. Good, good to know. Uh, and the woman who was running it sets me up and she, she's about to leave. And I'm like, oh, can I have a key? And she's like, no, we don't have keys in this town. So, my place and everyone else's place was completely unlocked in this town, as far as I could tell. Although they all had guns to a person. They, everyone had their own gun? Everyone had, man and woman alike, had their own gun. It was usually on them. Wow. Was yeah. that nerve-wracking or? Well, yeah, because like I, it was a dry Because you had a laptop and you would just throw it at them and that's it or? <laughs> that was my defense. <laughs> Don't shoot. <laughs> No, it was a little scary because I was new to town, and if I'd gone inside the wrong house, like I was afraid I'd get shot because uh, they all opened. Um, okay, so putting aside the gun part, yeah, uh, it does sound like the more you say this, that that they they do kind of have it right. So here's the question: Do you think that that they're voting for Trump, right? So the, yes, um, the majority of them uh, are they doing it because they believe in the values that the Republicans espouse, or is it because they believe that they hate Hillary Clinton so much, or what is it, what is the thing that's driving them to do this? And do they regret it? They do not regret it. They don't like his tone. They don't really like him. To be honest, they were more Ted Cruz people. This was the heart of Texas. They're Baptists. They are very religious. But they don't, look, they're in the middle of nowhere, and they feel like they have rules being made by Austin, Texas, about their lives from people who are nothing like them and know nothing about them, have never been to their town. Then they have rules being made in Washington, D.C. about their lives. Then they have entertainment that's being made in Los Angeles about, you know, that, that, that they're supposed to... They feel like the elites are basically running their entire lives without, doing, without understanding them at all. And Trump made some attempt to... I mean, in the end, he's a middle finger to the elites, right? And he's just... Even though he is an elite. Well, I argue in the book that he's not. Because? Um, remember Bobo's in Paradise, which David Brooks wrote, where he defined, like... Remind me, I forget. Oh, uh, he wrote this book, I think in late 90s, maybe 2000, about kind of the new, the new elite, the new Brooklynites, the meritocracy that sent people to these colleges, and then they moved into these, like, 
parts of Silver Lake or Los Feliz and be, you know, live these certain kind of lives with a third wave coffee. He listed things that peop, that Bobos hate that will never be respectable to the elites. And uh, the, there were 12 of them. The 12th was Hooters and the first was Donald Trump. Hmm. So Donald Trump was always anathema to the elite. And he, I mean, he is what, you, obviously everyone says this, he's what, if you are not part of that class, what you what you would do if you had money. Yeah, like, he's you eat a, your KFC the, with, you know, on your plane with your hot wife. Yeah, it's like, what's, what's the saying of um, he is the rich, he's the poor person's idea of what it, meant, what it would like to be right. rich. But more than that, so I get into the book is something I call the boat elite, which are different than the people, you and I elite, which is this guy. Wait, am I one of, am I one of, am I on the same level even though I didn't go to Stanford? Yeah, yeah, you, we let you in oh, later. Oh, thank you yeah, once so you much. I didn't to, get the letter. Yeah. Oh, you got the letter. You got it from the New York Times. You got it from Vanity Fair. You got the letter many times. You got the letter from Johnny Walker. Yeah. Uh, this guy Pareto, who you may know from the 80-20 theory, which is that 20% of your sales force brings in 80% of your mm -hmm. work. He has this theory that 20% of the people, it basically comes from 20% of the people own 80% of the land. Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be true as Piketty kind of proves throughout time. But he also, this other book he wrote, it was an essay in 1901 called The Circulation of the Elites. And his theory was, there's, and it's Nietzsche's theory too, there's two elites fighting each other all time. Like Nietzsche would probably say the sheep and the wolves. Right? It's the, the intellectual elite who claims there's morality and that, that you have to live a certain way so that their weak asses can control things, which is us. Yeah. And then there's the nationalist, rugged, by force, by money elite, which I think is what Trump is. And I think we, we're looking at possibly making a switch now around the world between these two kinds of elite. And I'm very, very scared about that because that never works out well. What, so what do, you, what do you think the worst case scenario is for that? Because I love going straight to the dystopian, so let's just go. You do. Oh, my God. You think everything it. is yeah. dystopic. Well. You do. I'm not with is. you on the, the disappearance of, it, of jobs and all that stuff. You don't think so? I do not think so. Oh, my God. Climate change? We're, it, I mean, we could burn to death by the end of this episode. I mean, it's, That's I mean true. we wouldn't even know it's yeah. happening. Uh, no, we get a tweet. We can. <laughs> I, deleted, our Facebook feed. I, I deleted Twitter from my phone. Uh, Did you really? Yeah, I just. So Everyone I know who's done that is happy about it. Oh yeah, I'm so much happier. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I actually officially did it just this week. Really? Um, I, mean, I, I had done it a while ago. I took a little break, and then I and then I um, I reinstalled it. And uh, uh, just this last week, some people were giving me a hard time about something I'd written, and I was like, you know what? I don't need this. No. And I just deleted it. And I feel better. It is amazing how much, like if I've written columns before that people hated. People have hated a lot of your columns. They really have. I've they, looked it up. They were usually right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing how upsetting that is, first of all. And secondly, how much of that information is, is sent to you very indirectly that you are searching for. It's like you're going on Twitter, you're going on Facebook, and you're seeing the hate. Well, it's interesting. I don't go, I took a, a couple of years ago, I was um, mauled uh, by, uh, by the journalism industry uh, for a column I had written, which we don't really need to get into. Uh, and Gawker and all those places came up to me. And I had this moment where I was like, I had, all, I had Google alerts. Was this the column about how you hate Latino people? <laughs> is this a different one? <laughs> okay, sorry. I wrote that column. Um, uh, it was how I hate the elite. Uh, um, anyone who went to Stanford and has written a book about the elite, a uh, very small group of people that came after me. Um, no, I, so it was a tech column that, that people got upset about. Um, everyone gets upset about everything, so it doesn't really matter about the column. But the point is, I had, I had Google alerts turned on for my name oh, for many, oh, many years. And I, and, and, I would, and I had like, um, in, I think there was like a setting in Twitter where you could just see like what people were saying with your real name, oh, yeah. not just your thing. Yeah. And I was like, what the, why would I do this? I used to And I deleted too. everything. Yeah. Like, I was like, I don't need to know what these people are saying. It's almost like, I'm sure that there is, there, I'm sure that there is like a family member or a friend or it's someone who's talking, talking about you right now. Right now. You just don't I need don't to need it. to know it. Exactly. Yeah. I, and so, I, fine, talk shit about me. Totally. I don't care. It's normal. Yeah. Well, it was funny because I was. I, and they wouldn't say it to your face. So we no. did this experiment. You know, Josh Terringell? Yes. So, uh, tell the listeners. Uh, he runs Vice's daily uh, news show for okay. HBO right now. Uh, we'll bleep that out. Yeah, because it's not Vanity Fair. No, exactly. <laughs> He's a Vanity Fair contributor. He was my editor at Time for a little bit. We did this experiment where we 
took a piece of hate mail to Time Magazine and put that person, not even in, not in person, not on the phone, just on email. We had them interact five times. Where the, we were, we were going to revamp the letters department because who cares about letters? Like no one, no one I know reads the letters section. So we're like, how do we make it interesting? And one, we had all these ideas. One was you take the piece of hate mail. The hate mail's from who? For a reader. Just made up? No, real it's a real, hate mail. Oh, it's real a hate real mail. reader okay, yeah. about something like your column that yeah. they hated. <clears throat> and then the person who wrote the piece uh, emails that person back. Uh huh. And then that person emails back. And we did it five times, just a string. And the discourse got so much nicer and of more course. humane. Yes. Right. Yes. And so, like, when you write a letter to the editor or when you tweet something, you do not. And I know this from when I used to write mean things. Like, not that I don't anymore, but I used to write, when I was younger, more mean things, particularly about celebrities. Because, A, I didn't think they'd see it. Mm-hmm. B, I didn't really think they were real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and I certainly didn't think they'd get upset. Yes. Like, I thought they had beyond thick skin. Yeah. And, it's, and it took me being yelled at by celebrities a lot for me to realize that... It did affect them. It did affect them, and they're real people, and... But you can take that into consideration, at least. But this goes back to the technology thing. I had an, I've had instances where I've met people and they've been super nice to me, right. and then I, I go to follow them on Twitter and I see tweets where they're like, Nick Bilton's the worst human being alive. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, I still invited you on the show, but, um, <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's, um, I, it's technology removes empathy. I feel like if, I feel like if we want to fix society... It removes empathy. It's not, the, it's not the technology's fault. It's the... I mean, just like you said, someone's talking about you. That's true. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Technology is a. If I walked down the street and told someone, "Go tell Joel I I don't like his hair today." Yeah. uh, I wouldn't say that to your face. Your hair looks great, by the way. It does not. Um, uh, Yeah. No, I think I think that's right. But I think that I think I think if we want to save society, uh, as technology becomes more apparent and 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 becomes. just more engrossing in every single thing we do. Uh, believe it or not, it's going to happen more and more than it already is. I think that we have to start thinking about how to build empathy into it. Otherwise, I think we're screwed. I don't know if you can build empathy into non-human interaction, non-face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think. You can what? I mean, I look at I pictures of puppies and I think, oh my god, it's so cute. You get a little dopamine hit. It's just but like, that's empathy. Like, what if we made everyone look like a puppy on Twitter or something like that? Like, oh my god, these are the these are the <laughs> solutions that make me sad. We just need to come up with emoticons that fit my skin color, and then we'll all be cool. <laughs> no, like, yeah, no. It's a hard. We need more face to face interaction. We need more of what Miami, Texas had. I was up. I did a proper Shabbat on Friday. I was up in Toronto. I went to this guy I know, and his family did full on Shabbat where they didn't. He doesn't use phones on the weekend, and it was like. Just is this guy David Sachs who wrote this book about going analog, mm-hmm. and he was just operating on a different. How did you frequency. get a hold of him to go there? We went to an elitist. So the second chapter of my book is about elitist organizations. Yeah. So we went to the, the reboot, reboot, which is the elitist Jewish organization mm-hmm. together. So it's just a friend of mine. So I saw. But him. he's not on. Phone. Oh, I, I, we had to set it up. I got oh, his you had to set it up in advance. I, yeah, set it up in advance. Uh, and so I showed up at his house in advance, uh, and we hung out and. And you, did you bring your phone, or did you leave it in the car? Or? I brought my phone. I didn't take it out. Got it. No one did. And I wasn't really tempted to when other people aren't. Like, that's this, when you're at dinner with someone, and they take out their phone, it's like an excuse for you to take out your phone. So, you, so okay, so, so bringing this back together f- yes. with, with Miami, is the solution that, because I do agree, when you, when, you know, when you speak to someone face-to-face who has said something not nice about you right. on, online or through a letter or whatever, um, I do it so once in a while. Like I will respond because I get I get angry. Oh, that's bad. Uh, no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't respond on social media. But I get um, sometimes I get like angry, nasty emails, yeah, and no. I respond. Oh no! No, I've, no, it's, okay. it works though. I um, I sometimes respond. It's like an experiment. Let's see what this person says, right. and I and they I, calm down right away, right? The, right away, yeah. like. A lot of, I've had times, a lot of times. They don't think you're going to read it. A lot of people that are like, I've had one guy say, I'm so sorry that I said that. I actually didn't think anyone would read this. Of course not. And and so I I guess I'm hunting for, in your search for the book on elitism, is the solution that we get rid of technology? Is it the solution that we we, we do like, you know how like uh, when we were kids they had... um, 
you would have the exchange student that would come like from France yes. and, and they yeah. would stay in your house and then you would go to their house and stay in their house for a month or whatever. It's a solution that we like have, you know, we all go stay, spend time in Miami, Texas, and so then they no, come into LA no. or... I, I, we, because technology has become such a huge thing. Yes. You in, for you in particular, because you covered it, but for all of us, it's become the thing we think about, how we think society has changed. I think that is not what's going on. I don't think Trumpism, populism is a is mostly a technology issue. I think that's You don't think it is. Not at all. What is it? You have these waves um, of populism that grip the world. You know, this this is what's happening now it seems very akin to what happened before World War One. Not that it's necessarily gonna go that far, but it we're directionally headed in that way. And People react to change. Like people forget, there's massive change in the world that is not technology based. I mean, there are ideas that occur. Like the Enlightenment, sure, the printing press leads to the Enlightenment in some ways, but in some other ways, it's an idea. And there have been ideas presented in Western culture that are very disruptive and upsetting. And globalism, feminism, diversity. There, there's a reaction to this. The amount of people who are upset about political correctness is everyone except the 8% of society who are progressives that we know. Like, people are reacting to an idea violently. Yes. I, I completely... People are getting tribal. Yes. Yeah. And so how does it play out? Do we... Cause, because it, wasn't it that prior to World War I, it was the response... To, it, fascism was actually a response to... The similar things, right? Yeah, I don't know how it play out. So there's an argument like the Mooch made, which I, I've thought about a lot since the election. He made it on your show that like McCarthyism burns out. People get sick of this, mm -hmm. right? But then there's another version where like it doesn't burn out and Pol Pot takes control. You know, I don't know how it turns out. And is that what that's what worries you the most? Yeah, that you're gonna have this changing of the guard to like full on nationalist populist revolt. And, and we're going to go... We're, the Dark Ages lasted a long time, right? Well, like, things, things, are, things happen quicker today, though. I guess, but, like, I don't know. The Cultural Revolution set China back quite a bit. Like, Cambodia is not back to where it was. Like, no, things don't... Things take a long time. You can destroy things very quickly. Uh, do you think we're destroying things right now? We're 100% destroying... I mean, the, the Michael Lewis kind of, like... <laughs> what's going on in the executive branch kind of way? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for okay, sure. Okay, so I was in D.C. We have people who don't know what they're doing running departments that we, you and I, don't understand, right? We just know that there's pe there are people like us running things they shouldn't be running. But, okay, so if you look at the, um, if you look at the results of the midterms from uh, this year, the response, the blue wave, was it's actually bigger than people realized because of all the gerrymandering um the response to trumpism uh after obama won uh the response to those midterms uh was that 45 percent of um uh republicans came out to vote in the midterms um the folks that vote uh and people that registered to vote the and that was a and that was a huge response to Obama. Like they, there was people were, were pissed off, and there was a lot of angry people on the right, and so on and so forth. If you look at the response to Trumpism and Trump, it was sixty percent um, uh, that voted of Democrats. Of Democrats, vote? like, and it's like an it's How an astounding they like sixty something seats, and the Democrats flipped because of gerrymandering. Because the Republicans gotcha. are way better at right. politics than the, the Democrats are, um, and. And so it seems like, or you know... Or just control more territory. Uh, I think a lot of it is, I mean, when you really look at the numbers, it's, I mean, it's kind of amazing. And look, also, like, look what happened in Georgia. Brian Kempf completely cheated to win the election. You know, look at what happened in Florida. The Republicans were crying uh, that it was, you know... But they, they did win. They, like, yes, well, yeah. I, if you actually count the votes in Broward County, who knows? Like, if, if you know, look at Texas, there was instances where people were voting for Beto and... But this uh, is the kind of liberal, like, I'm not saying, thinking, like... I'm not saying that... No, 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 I'm not if saying... If people really didn't like nationalism and populism, like, the way that I am afraid of Trump... And I'm not talking about, like, Republicans, Democrats. I'm talking about populism and, 
and incompetence and inexperience. If people were reacting to that like I am, we wouldn't have to debate about like what Brian Kemp did. There'd be a massive reaction to this. Well, but I also think that there's a, a large number of people in this country, you know, 91 million people didn't vote during the Trump election. Yeah, but there's a lot of people, and this is the argument in my book, that there's a lot of people who just want to give a middle finger to people like us because we are so smug and so superior and we're already, we were about to walk down a conversation where like these people got tricked, these people were gerrymandered. No, no, like, I don't think they, they got tricked. I yeah. just think that they're, I just think it's politics and that the, and the Democrats are really bad at politics. But they're ba bad at politics, like the subtext of that is like people really agree with us, right? And they're just good at gerrymandering and they're good at politics. And there's a superiority and a smugness to this that people hate and to political correctness. Like they think of political correctness the way that like, um, I think of like knowing the left and bank, uh, right banks of Bordeaux. Like it's another way to take my cultural superiority and be like, no, we call them they. It's, tra it's trans people, not, they're not trans. Like it, it, they, the reaction to that is so intense to our cultural superiority that they will do any, they will elect Trump just to flip us off. Okay, but so here's the question. If the, for the 91 million people that didn't vote because they think like, go screw yourself, yeah. elites, why haven't they risen up and said, hey, let's, let's try a different way? We don't want them to rise up. I, I'm afraid of those people <laughs> voting. Like, that's my elitism. Like, I think they're the people who want to get rid of me, but like, their hatred of people in power is so inchoate that they just want to vote against everybody, Trump included. Like, I, I fear that they're even more against me than the people who, who voted against. All right, so, so, it, so to come back to the book, and then I have some other questions for you that are unrelated to this. Uh, to come back to the book, what's the what's the aha thing that you got out of this? Is it that, that Trump is Trump's people are right? Is it that I guess the two aha things? Once one is like the people who support Trump uh, don't, for the most, the majority of them don't want to roll us quite as far back as I feared. I'm a little less afraid of them. They want to roll us back to like. The '80s, not, not like the '80s were pretty fun. I mean, bad architecture, yeah, but they, fun. They they feel it, there's a real disempowerment of where white, so people feel power relationally. They they don't white white people don't feel like yeah we're still running things. They feel like we're running things less than we used to. Like that's how you feel power. It's like speed. Mm -hmm. You just feel the acceleration or deceleration, and so they really feel like things are being taken from them, and they're not wrong. So, um, one, they don't want to roll us back as far as I feared. They don't want to roll us back to like 1940. They don't want like, uh, you know, two water fountains. Yeah. So that was comforting on some level. And B, I definitely came, I came to defend the elites just as much and expertise specifically, just as much as I did before. But I really think the superiority and the smugness will, not just holds us back, but defines us and needs to be fixed. And it defines us in what way? It's It makes but, us... But wait, but you just... We started this off by you saying that I would have yes. to have gone to Yale or Harvard to get on the Supreme Court. That I still believe, but you don't have to be smug about it. But how, how can you say that without being smug? I can say it in a way that's just like... That's like me saying that the restaurant we went to was a diner. It's like... It, it is, but it's like saying, look, I don't want someone working on my car unless they... A then start a train mechanic. Like it's it's just saying that there is expertise and, and we need people with expertise to run different things. But we don't need to like tell people that they're racist and they don't get it and they they're not voting for their own economic interests. And we we don't need to act so. We don't need to bring up David Foster Wallace immediately in the podcast. <laughs> like we don't need to act like such dicks. Uh, I get it. I think yeah, that's a very I good think, point. I think so how I, is it, how does what that, our liberal friends are doing, both on Twitter and in real life, yes. about calling everyone like a... Yes. Like, I, I mean, honestly, yeah, like, I, I think that um, uh, there People are... People were upset and were blaming, and they voted in anger for something that's horrible, and we're blaming them for being upset. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree with that. I think political correctness... Uh, I actually 1,000% agree with people being upset about it. I don't think that, like... And there's also just... We're going through a great change in society in many ways. And some of that is just going to be painful. 
and we're going to have some of this back and forth, and hopefully it works out, and we should make sure it works out. But there, there's a huge sea change going on. Well, this is, so this is my, my last question on this topic for you is, if you look at the results of the midterm and you look at the, the incoming um, uh, House members, when you look at the Republican photo... They're white dudes. All white. I mean, right. literally all right. white dudes. When you look at the Democratic photo, it yes. is a... It is a melting pot. It's beautiful. Like, honestly, and it's not like, a, this is not an elite, like, there's a woman with a headscarf, there's an African-American woman, there's a, it, it's like all these different people. But the whole idea that that's beautiful, I think, is... But it's, but is, wait a second, hold on. No, yeah. it is representative of what this country is. Of the is. cities of this country. But the cities of this country is yeah. the majority of this country for the populace. The majority, but there's still a lot of people who don't, but yes. But so... The white guys have been doing this for a long time, and they have pretty much screwed it up every time. Like, don't isn't putting aside the political correctness and all that stuff. Like, isn't that like the don't we recognize? Don't they recognize that there's a pretty good chance that this is not going to happen again if we go that route? First of all, no. I think that's just wrong. Get, Margaret Thatcher was a woman. Like, I don't think. I'm not saying Margaret. Tha I'm saying that there there is clear diversity in the incoming class of of. So, um, but the argument that just because you're not white means you're no, like I a think nicer, it, better person. No, I is, think is a real. I wouldn't issue say that it's not. People. It's not just because you're not white. I would say that it is that you are more representative. Look, here's like go to the Kavanaugh hearings. Those white male Republicans that were also present in the hearings for um, Anita, Hill. Anita Hill, they have no understanding or comprehension of what Christine Blasey Ford totally. went through. Totally, and, yeah. and so that's what my point is. I'm not saying just because you're white you don't understand it. I'm saying that like th that they are not representative of, of this country. Right, and you and I are two white dudes in a room yes. full of, of not necessarily white dudes who yes. are just like watching us talk. Yes. I, no doubt <laughs> we are still empowered and still over-empowered, but I'm just saying when that change occurs, yeah. people f don't feel like there's no human reaction to, yeah, I guess I, my people used to run things, now it's someone else's turn. Like That's just not how human beings work. They feel like someone's come for my power. I have less power than I used to. And if you feel it on a very visceral level, mm. like I used to be able to get a job because my buddy thought I was a good guy, and now like he's getting forced to hire like a young brown woman like that's ridiculous like people feel that and and maybe that change just has to occur and we're going to have a populist revolution and we're going to get through it and it's going to be ugly or maybe we can do it a little more peacefully at the cost of it being slower i don't know but i know that that's what people feel that's what people feel when they don't want when they're keeping syrians caged up who are you know in outside of germany it, it's real and it's scary, and it's intense, and it needs to be managed, instead of just telling people that they're wrong. Even if, even if that's the, the truth of it, like it, we, it needs to be empathetically managed. Empathy, that's, that's the key to all of this. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, so uh, we have a little bit of time left. I have a, a, a few more questions for you. So um, you've been writing for a long time. I'm How, 98 years old. You're 98 years old. You've, uh, you, just did an aging boot camp, is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I aged a lot. Um, how long have you been doing journalism? Um, I don't know. We have, do we count college? Like, what do we count? I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm your first byline. Years old. Uh, so first byline? 30 years, 20 years? I think my first byline was probably when I was 46. 25. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so you've written some amazing stories, Three. very funny stories, um, some controversial stories. Can you give us a, I want to like hear some of your favorites. Uh, over the years, like some of the stories that you that, that still stand out in your mind, uh, things that uh, come on, like you got to give me some, like no, nothing. I mean, like I had cool experiences. Okay, tell us a couple of cool. I just find that like you, I, I didn't know about the story. I didn't, sorry, I didn't read them all, but I didn't know about when you went to the uh, the 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 house in the woods for the people that were addicted to technology. Oh yeah, like, that was cool. I don't know. I did, I did so many cool things. Um, it's funny, I just saw, a po this is not that interesting, cut this, but I just saw there's a podcast about Y2K. Uh-huh. And I remember, I wrote, a, I wrote the cover for Time when uh, the year turned for the- Y2K, 2000. Y2000. And uh, we sent someone into like a bunker with some Y2K believers and their family as they were like, we're gonna open up their millet. And then we sent someone on an airplane 
with the FAA chairwoman as people flew at midnight. Because all this stuff was supposed to happen. Yeah, I remember, right? I remember watching the news and they were like, across America. Well, they started in like Guam, right? Yeah. And they were like, no, the lights are on in Guam. Like, what's going on? Huh. And then the lights stayed on everywhere. But I found that to be super interesting because it was like, it was about technology. It was about cults in a weird way. It was about people believing, wanting to believe in the end of the world. And then when it didn't happen, seeing the psychology of how people readjusted and how quickly people readjusted to like, oh, well, now we'll just have millet for dinner a lot. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> like, that was interesting to me. And then just like, I guess that was back when Time Magazine was still operating in its 1950s format. So I... Is that when they, is it true that they used to come through the halls on like deadline day and like carve turkey and stuff in front of you and serve wine and... So there was a, I got there a couple years after the bar cart stopped. They would just give you a bunch of booze on Friday nights in your office and you could Mad Men style make stuff. But we did have a, there was a guy who cooked dinner for us. Um, in the office? Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think, um, in the office. But we walked up with our tray and then brought it back. Oh, you had to walk up. You did have to walk up. This guy, Chris, <laughs> he was great. Uh, yeah, we were treated really well. But it was also the system was that people filed to me. So I had people from like 20 cities sending me at midnight wherever they were these, you know, thick files that I had to quickly read through in a couple hours and pound something out. So you, uh, they were sending fun. you their reporting and then you were... Yeah, yeah. And just like me taking... I didn't really do any reporting at all. I just took all their information and tried to synthesize it. And that was just like a fun game, yeah. kind of, in a way. I don't know if I'd call it reporting. When you, um, uh, when you think about this, to come back to this thing before, I know I said it was the last question, but I, I now brought this, this up, brought this to mind. When you think about the state of, of the country today, one of the things that I've, I've said quite a lot, and I truly do believe, even though I work in this industry, is that journalism is to blame in many respects. Like, I feel like... It's become a parlor game almost, and um, how? What do you mean? Well, I feel like it's like I feel like that there are so many people out there who are more concerned with their byline than they are concerned with the truth. And and cable news is a perfect example. You know, like you got Sean Hannity and oh, right. and. Uh, on one side, I mean, uh, you've got um, uh, Tucker Carlson, who always looks like he's going to the bathroom. He's in my book. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, um, I, and you've got, and then on the other side, I mean, you could go as far as in saying Rachel Maddow, and like she's got For her sure. viewpoint, but like Jim Acosta at CNN, who's like he's so like, performative. It's, it's total theater. Yeah, and it's taking away from like there's these big big issues, and Trump has what he has done. Is just played into it just so perfectly, yeah. and like sets it all. And it's it. I don't necessarily. I don't feel like. Have you ever watched? Have you ever watched twenty four hour news lately? It's like I, I don't, don't have feel, cable, but I. But my parents watch it, so I see it at their houses sometimes. I've seen it at airports, and I stopped. I mean, I, I stopped going on because I. Yeah, me too. I hadn't gone on in a while, and then right after the election, I went on like Don Lemon or something, and uh, I didn't realize it was now like because I don't have cable. I haven't had it for a long time. I didn't realize it was like. People 17 people time, yeah instead of like i was used to like two or three which was still crazy um, uh, and there was there were seven of us and, or five or six and i didn't talk <laughs> and during the during the break don lemon said in my ear he's like look you know if you don't interrupt you're not going to get airtime and i was like i'm cool with that <laughs> and i don't i didn't say more than two words like i was like i'm not but, okay but don't you think it was me you... and michael wolf it was insanity uh, I, I've been on those same shows and you're kind of looking around like it's the Brady Bunch and you're just like, okay, these two people are going to argue and I'm just going to wait for my five minutes to be up. But don't you it's think... the Brady Bunch and they're all Cindy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't you think that it's not helping? I don't know. There's I, such a little amount of it that is. I don't know... People are riled up, and I think they're not riled up by the media. I think people are just... The media is ri helping rile. I don't know how much of it is just being reflected by the media. Also, like, when we talk about journalism, we're, what are we talking about? Like, I don't feel like people who are breaking important stories are doing it for the... are doing it mainly to get a byline or get attention. I, dis I disagree. I think that there's so few people out there... Uh, so many publications that are doing it just for the that are doing it because they believe in it. I think that uh, I think that um, 
so many people are doing it because they want to be famous. Well, I mean, maybe I'm backing off of that because that's exactly why I started doing it. <laughs> I mean, it is. I had, uh, when I graduated college, I was trying to decide whether to try and write sitcoms or try and uh, continue. Because I had some cool internships in college and I wrote for the school paper. Yep. I was like, oh, I think it'll be easier for me to get a magazine job. But I didn't want to report. I just wanted to write and get attention. And then I learned that I liked reporting. I didn't learn I liked reporting until years later when I was stuck in a writer's room and I missed it. I was like, all the cool things I did are from reporting. Do you still like getting attention? Yeah, yeah. I mean, less than I used to, but for sure. I, 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 like, I tried, I literally tried to be like, okay, if I just, I can just sneak by the radar on this one and maybe a few people will read it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's not that. It's more, it's more that I, um, in the past, I would have enjoyed the incendiary bombs I would have thrown on social media. And now I'm just like, oh, God, that again? Well, social media, I don't, that kind of attention I don't really enjoy because it's, yeah. it's too fleeting even for me. Yeah. Because like, it goes away in seconds. Like, yeah. It's a dopamine hit. That I don't enjoy. But I do enjoy, like, I do enjoy, like, having people read my stuff and having access to places that I find interesting. I like, do. Like Y2K bunkers. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's uh, so the last question. All right. Uh, How many last questions are there? This, I do quite a few of them. Okay. We might do another one it's after It's much this. more exciting when you say last question. Yeah, like, last question. Because I'm like, I'm going to stop listening to this podcast. And I'm like, oh, just one more. I don't know who, anyone who's still listening. No one's made it the whole No one's. I actually wonder when I say the, the, the outro at the end, I'm like, thanks for listening. If you're next you week. Idiot. And I'm like, and sometimes I'm like, why are you still listening? Uh, no one in this room. And my wife turns over and says, why did you say that at the end? Um, well, she's right. Uh, um, the, I forgot the question. I literally. Oh, it was my last question. My last question was, do you think that I do like you? (laughs) Was that it? You did a good job today. Was that it? Uh, Can you tweet my byline real quick for me? Um, No, here, here it is. Is what do you worry about most from all the all the stories you've done all over the years? You know, like climate change and you're so dystopic. I have to go there. I just have to do it. I have to know what it is that keeps you up at night. About the world. Is it populism? Is it no? It's the same thing that's kept me up since I was a little kid and read Nuclear War. What's in it for you? Okay. Like, yeah, climate change. That's a problem. But like, I think the way people are going down is from a nuclear really war for sure. What are you talking about? Nuclear war is so. Mundane compared to all the other ways that we I know go that's down. the way we're going down for well, sure. You you need like seven people to press a button and like. Th- oh, w- I didn't okay, realize. What if oh, what? I'm wrong then? You need seven people? I thought <laughs> no, you, it was need, just six. you need okay. like two. No, but like there's biological warfare where right. they can release or there's there's I, I I heard recently I had someone on the podcast like a year ago and I've been researching it more about how. In China, they, they have no ethical quandaries about genetically modifying yeah, yeah, human beings. Flying pigs and stuff. They're ma- well, not yeah. only flying pigs, but they're making like a superior race of like of humans that will be able to like see four miles out and and um, and will be bigger and stronger know, and can and run. Truck drivers won't have jobs. I know it all. No, but, but don't, and you worry about nuclear bombs? What is this sure. like the Bay of Pigs? I mean, yeah, yeah. We that was as close as we've gotten to ending this planet. It was literally the Bay of Pigs, and it's just luck that it hasn't happened again. If you give people a gun, someone's going to shoot a gun, right? Yeah, that happens in America. And if quite you're a lot. in Pakistan and you're moving your nuclear weapons around in the back of a van, like those, <laughs> yeah, that's how it's that's how it's going down. That's what I worry about. And then we have a guy who I don't think should be in charge of a decision about nuclear war. Like, I feel strongly about that. I feel very strongly about that. So too. that's, if I had to boil down my problem with, with populism, whether it's here or Brazil or Hungary, like the country, or, or North Korea, like all these nationalist countries, which is probably every, every country by the time this podcast airs, some of them have nuclear weapons. Yep. And, you know, replay World War I with nuclear weapons, and it's not great. No, it's true. Well, World War, they had a lot of um, chemical weapons. And it they did. did. That it wasn't great. It wasn't great. So many people were no. gassed and killed. Yeah. Like, didn't know what was going on. They just walked out of their trench, walked into, like, a, a cloud of fog, cloud. and fell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, should we end it on this note, or should we try to find something? We're going to drink, I thought. 
That's when you drink. <laughs> I'm literally like, what can I ask that's not about people dying in a fog of chemical weapons? I think that's it. I think yeah. I think we're done. Thank you, Joel. No I really problem. appreciate you taking the time. You bring uh, out the darkness in everyone. In man. everyone, even you're the new cave of podcasters. Even the elite, Joel Stein. Ugh. Thanks. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks to my guest. Joel Stein, and thank you for you for listening this far. If you've enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bill, and you can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave an absolutely incredible review while you're there. Thanks, of course, to my folks at Cadence 13 for their production work and for doing such an incredible job on this podcast. And I will see you all next week. We're going to have a uh, another special episode where maybe there will have be a little pop quiz. Maybe there won't, but you'll have to come back to see. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.